Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Question. Has time gone out the window to pitch story ideas to editors and reporters? Well, that is the question asked in an article in Compro Magazine by my two guests. And they are Christine Maloney, Assistant Vice President of TVP Communications, and Crystal Stewart, Senior Strategist, also with TVP Communications. Now, prior to joining TVP, both were Senior Media and Public Relations staff at the College of the Holy Cross in is it Worcester, Massachusetts. And they join us today from the great state of Massachusetts. Ladies, welcome to the program. Thank, Thank you for having us. So tell me, what was it that caused you to ask the question, has time passed for PR people to pitch to editors and reporters? What brought that on? So I think we really started asking this um, probably about three or four weeks into the pandemic. There mm-hmm. were so many shifts within our culture, including many newsrooms being shut completely and lots of people, most people, working from home. And we noticed that life got a lot busier despite everyone being stuck at home. So we often found ourselves, um, we both have young children, we often found ourselves emailing at 6 a.m. before they woke up or late at night before they went to bed just to sort of try to get us through those first few weeks. And we noticed that reporters were responding at odd hours as well. Um, We would get emails in the middle of the night sometimes, and it just seemed like those boundaries between normal working hours were, uh, had disappeared. When, when you work in media relations, there's sort of long time norms in what's acceptable for pitching. You might not pitch broadcast radio early in the morning because you know people are meeting for their early morning meeting um, and can't access their email right then. And from working with different reporters that you have longstanding relationships with, you sort of know when they're going to be on deadline and when they might be open to hearing a pitch. And all of that went out the window with COVID-19. 
So how did you go about resolving that issue? It sounds to me right now we're talking about a time issue, who was available when COVID caused uh, pretty much through all of those earliest schedules out the window. So how did you go about uh, resolving that? So one thing we did was start reaching out to some of the reporters and editors we work with closely to kind of get a sense of their schedule and, and how they were handling media pitches. So, um, you know, some of them would say they were waking up at 7 a.m. or earlier to do pitches. A lot of them were trying to keep normal nine to five hours, but again, having children and other responsibilities during the COVID-19, people would be up late at night trying to catch up. So I think it was really people just trying to work when they could work. So we started asking those questions to, to our reporters to c- get a better sense to, so we could share that with the broader public relations executives. So the, the bottom line, as I'm hearing it, is that there was no or is no standard time. It varies depending upon who it is you're trying to reach. Is that close to being right? I think that's right. And I think it goes beyond time of day. And it also includes what's going on in the news. Even before COVID-19, the news cycle has sped up a lot. I think we've seen in the past four years just a a pretty busy and hectic schedule of news. And it's sometimes challenging to time pitches around that. Um, Obviously, if you have something that's related to breaking news, um, that's that's great and, and can get out there right away. But for example, we, we were both pitching a story yesterday um, when the mob stormed the Capitol, and it had nothing to do with politics, and it was kind of a lighter, fun story, and we had to immediately stop because newsrooms and, and people all around the world stopped to see what was going on, and it, it was a scary time, and newsrooms are still really busy sorting this out and dealing with the aftermath. So we, we talked this morning about holding that pitch maybe even until next week before we go back to it because we really are trying to be responsive to what else is going on in the world. We heard actually from a reporter that we had pitched early yesterday morning who, who told us that the pitch was interesting, but everyone was focused on political news right now um, and to try back again. So I think it's, it's time of day and people's preferences, but also really being aware of what else is happening in the news. And there's a lot, not only politics, but there's a lot of health news, health and safety, COVID. There's a lot going on that really plays into your relationships with reporters, as well as how successful you can be in getting your clients' stories out there. Well, I'll tell you, let's let's then focus on some of the things, uh, the types of pitches that you do do, how you go about it and how you become successful when we look at things such as op-eds and features and and, uh, pushing your faculty maybe on some stories to be uh, called or considered as uh, experts to comment on some issues. Let's look at that and how you went about being successful in those particular areas. And uh, either one of you can start on that one. So one of the things we did was, when COVID did hit was all of our faculty and our experts that we work with were all really passionate and all wanted to either write or share their knowledge on whether it be COVID, um, racial justice issues, politics. So it wasn't just our clients, it was faculty, staff, people everywhere. 
So it became a lot harder for us to pitch an op-ed that might take, um, you know, a couple days to place. It might take a couple of weeks to place with lots of revisions in between because the news was changing so fast. So that was one thing that we found a little bit difficult and had to had to work around and pitching a lot more editors than we, we normally would. A lot of a lot of editors will get back to us and say, this is a really good piece. I just don't have the room. I'm swamped. I ha- we have too many pieces. So on top of trying to be fast and get that news out there, we also experienced those difficulties as well, a- along with just pitching general faculty expertise. So it was really important to build, and as Christine mentioned, the relationships with reporters, paying attention attention to sensitive issues, whether, you know, a reporter might be furloughed that you work with, or they might have COVID themselves, just, just making sure we're paying attention to what's going on with them and not just pitching, pitching them a story to serve our, our clients' needs. So it's really paying attention to both sides. Mm-hmm. Do you think the issue at the Capitol uh, the other day, that uh, this would open the door for you to have one of your, let's say, political science, professors in political science write an op-ed on the far-reaching consequences of something like that? Does that sound like something you could craft into a potential op-ed? That's exactly the kind of thing um, we've been working on um, since yesterday afternoon when we finally could sort of gather our own thoughts about what was happening and focus a little bit. We do, um, because we work with within higher education, we do have access to some of the country's top historians and political scientists, as well as as other experts that can help explain this from other disciplines as well. Um, And we immediately started reaching out, um, both to talk through potential op-ed ideas, but also to just get some quick quotes and thoughts from them that might be helpful as reporters continue to follow this story in the days to come. We, in particular, have had a lot of faculty in the past year in particular, but definitely as politics sort of heated up when Trump came on the scene, there's definitely been, as Crystal mentioned, a a sense of duty from faculty members to be able to present information to the public that can help them make sense of and put in context what our country is going through right now. So you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly the kind of thing we, we shifted to yesterday from that fight, uh, fun light story we were working on. We, we immediately shifted into um, who can we offer up that can help to, to frame this um, and make some sense of it and also answer some questions about what's, what's next and what does this really mean? Do you have, and the question I'm going to ask is, because I've done it myself and others have, did you put together some sort of uh, what I call a media guide to the uh, College of the Holy Cross? Uh, Here are our faculty experts, uh, here are their credentials and the things that they talk about, and then circulate it to the media either all throughout uh, Massachusetts or the Northeast or wherever uh, because I recalling doing that myself when I arrived at the Little Fisk University here in Nashville. Uh, once I did that, I actually jumped on a plane and went to a, a, a journalist conference <laughs> for the box <laughs> full of <laughs> uh, these things that say, well, fine, if you want to talk about something in physics or, you know, cloud this or chemistry, here they got a call and left them with the, this uh, booklet of, of folks to, to call. And it, and it began to produce results. So 
I'm wondering if you, in fact, did produce some sort of a handbook of uh, our faculty experts or something to that effect. Yes. So we did have um, a faculty experts, like a, a long list of faculty experts, and then we sort of had what we called a hot topics page, and we would have, you know, three or four rotating faculty depending on what the topic was. And for a few of our senior administrators, we made four media pages, so it would have what they can talk about, a downloadable photo, how you could contact them. Um, one thing that we didn't do that didn't work for, for us was having sort of a, a live database with all faculty expertise. It was very hard and large to maintain, so instead we would focus on certain calendar events throughout the year. Um, a big one for Holy Cross was when the Pope visited the U.S. for the first time. So we had mm -hmm. lots of different faculty talking about that experience um, not only from a religious perspective, but from a political perspective as well and, and bringing in other disciplines. So we definitely did do that. And as you said, hopping on a plane to go see, go to a conference with journalists, we used to do that a lot, relationship build and make connections and see what they are covering. And I think, you know, that is definitely missed during COVID. I know they are trying to do, I did participate in one virtual conference, which was, handled very well, the sessions were great, but again, it was hard to kind of make those connections online um, right. rather than in person. How about feature articles? How do you go about developing or considering feature articles to, to pitch to uh, the various media? So features are one of the things that are, are my personal favorites to pitch, but they also are among some of the hardest because they really often depend on larger news holes or slower news cycles. Um, mm -hmm. So I've had, it's definitely been more of a challenge in recent years, certainly with social media on the scene, but also just with the news seeming to get faster and busier day by day. But we do look for ways to connect any feature story we might want to pitch to the news of the day. Um, and often that uh, results in a trend story pitch um, where we might look at common themes or developments across many different institutions in higher education. Often we look at things like that around the theme of finances, um, which has been a really big focus in higher education recently. Mm -hmm. Also trends with students. This year we looked a lot at responses to COVID, which varied widely across higher education and in other sectors as well. So we definitely still try to look for ways to tell some of those bigger features. I think they're sort of the biggest bang for your buck with clients, if you will, because they truly can get at some personal stories as well as telling a larger story about an institution um, in ways that, you know, maybe a faculty expert piece or an op-ed just can't do. But at the same time, there's also a realization that there's just not as many opportunities for features as I would like. I recently heard a, a podcast producer talking about the election of Joe Biden and whether we might start to see a slowdown in news and possibly open up uh, opportunities for some of those evergreen stories that he had filed away, collecting dust for years, um, but ones that he wanted to get back to. Um, and it seemed kind of like 
the ideal situation to be able to pitch features again if, if news slows down. But I'm not sure. We might be in this cycle for a while, or it, it might be the new normal. Um, but I, I would very much welcome the door opening a little bit more for uh, more longer feature stories. Mm-hmm. Now, how far is your reach when you have a feature story idea? How far is your reach? How far do you look in terms of uh, reporters, magazines, or whatever to pitch? You're in Massachusetts. I mean, do you reach out to people in Florida or uh, North Dakota? Just how far do you go? So we work um, mostly with national reporters and editors. Some of our clients may want regional coverage or, you know, have target cities where they would like um, coverage, so we can focus on those as well. But we generally focus on, on national and a lot of also higher ed trade media. Okay. Um, so, we, so, you know, depending on the story, we like to, to talk to all parties involved. So whether it be a faculty member, a student, administrator, someone from another school, a third-party endorsement, we like to talk to everyone, kind of get our ideas down, brainstorm a bit, you know, where do we think, where can we see this piece, where's the best outlet, and then we come up with sort of a target list of maybe the top three we'd like to pitch and start there, and those three don't accept, then we'll keep going down the line. But again, getting to know the outlets, what, what they cover, reporters, what they like to cover, and really get a sense of different people's beats, that kind of helps us narrow down what may be a good fit where. And again, due to COVID and all of the this never-ending news cycle, you know, a lot of those reporters that would be interested in these feature stories just can't cover them because they're, they're pulled on to breaking news. Just uh, in terms of looking at clients, now, are some of your clients colleges and universities? They're pretty much exclusively colleges and universities, and that ranges from small liberal arts um, to big public research universities. We, we do some work, although it's a much smaller portion of our work with education, we like to say education-adjacent organizations. So that might be someone who works in higher ed scholarships or think tanks around um, higher education. Um, But for the most part, we are working with campuses. Okay. And the reason I ask that, because sometimes I've, I've run across on some occasions some uh, colleges and or universities, uh, they don't know when they have a good story. Yes, a lot of them do have a PR staff, but it depends upon the level of accomplishments that those staff have uh, as to whether they recognize they have a story or not. So how do you get in there and see if somebody's overlooking something or they could do more with what they already have? How do you deal with situations like that? Um, agreed. So prior to COVID, um, when we would onboard a new client, we would go to campus, sit down with the president, senior administrators, faculty, students. We'd be jam-packed just trying to figure out what stories do they want to get across, what are their, what's their goals, wh- what's their mission, and then looking for stories through that. And just a lot of times by talking this out, they'll talk themselves into a story they didn't even know was there. Um, mm-hmm. And since we do work with a lot of different campuses, we can say, oh, that is unique, or oh, another institution is doing that, maybe that's a trend story. So it's really um, about our, our intake and really getting to know a campus. We have been lucky amid the pandemic that we have been able to onboard new clients. We've been doing that through Zoom. Again, we're still 
talking, getting those stories, but it's a little bit different than the in-person going to campus. And we also, prior to COVID, would do a yearly visit to each of our clients to find out new things that are going on, meet with new faculty, new staff, to come up with that um, list of ideas for the year. But now um, we're doing that virtually with our clients as well. So it's kind of it's working because we're breaking up breaking it up a little bit more so it's not a full day of meetings. We're, we're kind of doing a few here, a few there. And onboarding, so it's not as much as once, but also the Zoom fatigue is real, so we're conscious of that and, and trying to make sure we're still getting those best, the best stories that we can um, from others. Now, do some of your stories also have, on occasion, um, opportunities to be video pitches that you can make? We've got the B-roll that we can give you with this story. Do you have those as well? We have done that in the past with very select and specific stories where video is really the focus and sort of needed to be able to tell to be able to tell the intended story. One thing we found early on was that for at least um, working with a lot of national media, they do for the most part still have the resources and would prefer to use and come to campus and use their own B-roll. Mm -hmm. So we sort of weigh, you know, who are the targets with this story? How easy is it to access campus? You know, there were, before, before last year, a Zoom television interview really would have been unheard of. But things are changing, and reporters um, and editors are definitely taking more pre-produced video, photog photography, as well as kind of loosening up um, some of the standards on what they considered um, acceptable video and audio um, just because of world changes. But yeah, we would, we would weigh that carefully and make sure that it was video that was going to be used, but al always you know, having those assets on hand and being able to offer them, I think, is, is always a bonus. Now, just let me ask you, is there any areas that you would like to have covered that we haven't covered? Well, I just want to be sure, uh, you know, because as again, this is your platform. This is the opportunity for you guys to tell your story. But thus far, the fact that you've made the adjustments to people working from home has led to your success in continuing to be able to pitch and successfully place stories for your clients. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think one thing that's really important to remember and that we've certainly learned is that there really are no hard and fast rules and you need to be flexible and change not only with the news and the times but also with individual reporters preferences which obviously all of that takes a little bit more effort um, and initiative on the part of media relations professionals but I think ultimately is the best way to proceed and the best way to ensure success. Well great. Well, let me say thank you to both uh, Christine Maloney and Christine uh, Crystal Sewer for being my guest today. And uh, I hope that all of you have all had the opportunity to learn something from this and benefit from this conversation. And, of course, keep listening to the Public Relations Review. And, of course, tell your friends. Join us again for the next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us.
Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast. <laughs>